Well, you can turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews. We're going to continue listening in really what we've identified as a sermon more than or more so than a letter that we often find in the New Testament. Uh, the sermon here by a very uh, concerned pastor, uh, teacher. He is encouraging uh, this Jewish Christian church. He's encouraging them. He's warning them, uh, steering them in a very uh, difficult time. It would seem that some of them are having second thoughts, maybe doubting, um, doubting this gospel uh, that they've heard. Uh, does following Jesus really make sense? Is he... Uh, is he worth it? Is he worth the suffering that comes with being identified uh, with, uh, with Jesus? And it may be easier, at least more agreeable for them to go back to some of their uh, Jewish practices than to follow this uh, Messiah, Jesus. So the, the preacher's encouraging them to hang on, to endure in the faith. And he's doing that by giving them sound reasons, uh, Old Testament-endorsed reasons Uh, to hold fast to Jesus Christ. Uh, He wants their faith to grow. Uh, It has to grow if they're going to be uh, steadfast in the face of opposition. Uh, So he's bolstering their understanding of who Jesus is, uh, why they need Jesus, why they can't go back uh, to those old ways in Judaism without uh, consequences, eternal consequences. Now, we heard last week when we uh, looked at the opening of Mark's gospel, uh, gospel being the, these news clips, parables, stories, that the one who hears these, uh, these clips, once who hears this gospel word, um, that's transformative. When that's heard, when that's believed, there is a change. Um, there's no going back uh, once... Uh, once that has been uh, believed, because of the faith that is required uh, in the Lord Jesus. Uh, no good news left um, if that gospel is abandoned. That's what the preacher has warned them of in chapter 6. And so, just by, by way of review here, he's, he has said that Jesus is far, he is the superior and final word of God. Jesus is superior to all the angelic hosts. That's saying something. Now Jesus is superior to Moses. That'll get the attention of the Jews. The prophet of the Old Testament, Jesus is superior. He is the only one qualified to be high priest of God's people. And that's what he wants to expand on that in 5 verse 10 and Jesus being a priest in the order of Melchizedek, but then he sort of hits the pause button, almost like he's been, been distracted and needs to, to warn them specifically, um, and then comes back to it in 6 verse 20. So now we are expecting him to tell us more about this Melchizedek um, and why Jesus is a priest in that order. So we're going to read all of chapter 7 this morning of Hebrews. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, He continues a priest forever. 
See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these all are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is God's holy and enduring word and the word that we need this morning. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you for this word. and You are faithful um, to perform all that you desire from your word. And we ask that you would show us wonderful things now from your law, that you would incline our hearts to you, uh, teach us, encourage us, um, and show us how to walk in faithfulness and obedience to you. Lord, show us Christ, who is our very life. It's in him we pray. Amen. Only the penitent 
shall pass. The penitent man shall pass. Um, Before Marvel Studio Adventures, uh, some of us clung to the edge of our seats with that uh, archaeologist and professor, Indiana Jones. Uh, In the last crusade, um, some of you weren't around even remember this, but um, the last crusade, he needs to rescue his uh, his father, who has been taken captive by some uh, from Germans, who will stop at nothing to get the Holy Grail, and uh, they believe that Indiana Jones has the knowledge and the skills, uh, you know, to get through all the, the passageway and all of the traps uh, leading to the Holy Grail. Others have tried this, and all that's typically left is their headless bodies. Um, to get through the passage. And so the whole group is, is standing there, uh, the, this group of, of Germans and, and Indiana Jones's friends and his father who has been wounded, uh, waiting for him to, to make it through. Um, and uh, he comes to a place where only the penitent man shall pass. And he remembers that a penitent man kneels before God. And so he kneels whoosh, just as the the knives slash across where his head would have been. Um, and it's, it's a great scene. He goes on ahead and then they follow uh, behind him now that all these traps have been triggered uh, and they can go through in safety. But when I read in the Old Testament scriptures about the high priest and the work of the priests, and the high priest who would go into that most holy place with the people sort of waiting outside, that, that's kind of the scene that comes to my mind. Um, will, will he make it? Will he, will he get through? Will he come out alive? If Indiana Jones didn't make it, well, no one's getting through this passage to the Holy Grail. So the Old Testament priests represented the people before God. Their sacrifice would, would not be accepted. They wouldn't get through, as it were, um, if they did not have a priest who could draw near into that holy of holies to represent them uh, before the Lord. So the right worship of God and the ability to draw near to Him requires a priest. One who's been set apart and, and consecrated by God to make sacrifice on behalf of uh, the worshiper. This is true under the Old Covenant. And it is true under the New Covenant uh, it looks very different now. Um, so that the Jewish Christians who are hearing this message, they need a priest to intercede for them. They need the confidence that God sees them, that God cares for them, that He has made a way for them to draw near because the grip of their faith is slipping. Maybe that describes you this morning. Um, doubting God's ability to help. He seems distant, maybe even seems a little disagreeable, displeased with them. So they need to hear that they have a priest who is very much alive and interceding for them, going before them, who has made a sufficient offering uh, before the throne of God. Um, we need a priest to worship God rightly. We need a priest to draw near. There's only one high priest who qualifies to represent us and to intercede for us. And so we need to to ask the question, how can Jesus be a priest 
forever. Why is he the forever priest that we need? And so this chapter really helps um, answer those types of, of questions. Uh, in fact, Hebrews is the only place in the New Testament where Jesus is given the designation of priest uh, or high priest. None of the gospel writers, Peter, Paul, they, they may mention the priestly work of Jesus, and we see that. I think of John 17 as an example, where Jesus is praying and interceding for his people. Um, but only, only in Hebrews um, do we hear about Jesus as uh, the priest. And so chapter 7 through 10 here focus on the high priestly office of Christ. Um, and, and doing what this author likes to do, he is moving from... Um, the lesser to the greater, or in this case, the great to the greater. Uh, the first 10 verses show us the great Melchizedek. And then starting in verse 11, I think, to the end of the chapter, the greater Jesus. We have the great Melchizedek, the greater Jesus. Um, now, if you have not heard of Melchizedek before, uh, then you're going to learn a few things this morning about this uh, priest named Melchizedek. If you have at least heard of Melchizedek before, if you have an idea of where he lands in the uh, great story, then you're going to leave this morning not knowing a whole lot more about Melchizedek as a high priest um, and priest of the God Most High. So sorry to burst your bubble if, if that was an expectation. But we don't know, know a whole lot about him. Uh, and the preacher's point here is not to unravel the mysteries of Melchizedek. His point is to show us Jesus. And to see Jesus as high priest. We're going to understand Jesus as a priest better by hearing about his relationship with this Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is mentioned only twice, so just in Hebrews in the New Testament, and then only twice in the Old Testament. One of those references we've heard several times now from the author to Hebrews in Psalm 110. He's going to go back to that in this chapter. But one other time in the Old Testament, and that's in Genesis 14. Abraham has just taken about 300 men uh, into battle. They've gone on a rescue mission to rescue Lot and his family who have been taken captive by a number of kings that sacked uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and some of those other towns. This is before uh, those places were torched under the the judgment of the Lord. Uh, But on his return with this family in this valley of kings, he meets two kings, the king of Sodom and then this king of Salem whose name is Melchizedek, uh, who is also priest of God Most High. Does that seem strange? It should a little bit. It should catch our attention. Old Testament law said that kings were not to exercise the role of priest. Um, kind of like the, you know, the checks and balances we have in our own government. You know, not, not giving one, that, that separation of powers for one man to be king and priest was a no-no. Um, but Melchizedek is both. So he had an authority and a power appointed by God as priest. So this priest of God Most High, he meets Abraham, he brings bread and wine to refresh him, and then it says he blesses him in the name of God. So Abraham recognizes the superiority and the greatness of this man. And he gives him one-tenth of all of the spoils that they were uh, returning with. Think how great this man must be for Abraham to do that. And the scripture does not record Melchizedek's genealogy. 
We don't know when his ministry begins and when it ends. Kind of the point of verse 3 there. Implying that this is a continual priesthood appointed by God. It's led some commentators uh, to reach the conclusion that maybe Melchizedek is a theophany. Maybe this is God himself, a pre-incarnate picture of Christ who appeared to Abraham. That's a possibility, but I don't think it's likely. Uh, because of the detail we have in Genesis 14 and the, the use of this reference in Psalm 110, um, this is a priest appointed by God um, and that's his only qualification. We don't see his ancestry uh, in the Scriptures. Um, so verses 5-10, through 10, making it clear, Melchizedek is not a descendant of Aaron. He's not from the tribe of Levi where the priests would come from uh, under the Old Covenant, in uh, Leviticus chapter 8, we read about the consecration of Aaron and his sons uh, as priests. So being from the tribe of Levi, Levi was an essential requirement to being a priest. Now the Levites weren't around yet in Genesis 14. But they're the ones who lawfully would receive a tithe, a portion from the people um, as a gift uh, in service. But here we understand that the Levites are giving a tithe through their forefather, Abraham. Law doesn't require this. Melchizedek isn't demanding this. So not only is Melchizedek superior to Abraham, he is superior to Levi and the whole Levitical priesthood. That's the whole point of these first ten verses. Melchizedek is superior because of his divine appointment by God, no mention of beginning or end because of his life service uh, as priest. So this account of Melchizedek, of Melchizedek, what little we information we have, it anticipates the kind of priesthood that God intended to displace the old Levitical priesthood. So here's a picture now of a higher priesthood a new priesthood that's promised in the Old Testament. As we get back to Psalm 110, fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. So Psalm 110.4, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's actually a prophetic word now. Here's a prophetic word for the coming of Jesus. Jesus is the forever priest announced by David. And the rest of the chapter shows us what we learn. The great Melchizedek is a foreshadowing, a type of, of the greater Jesus. That's important for us to remember that types come after the real thing. The reality exists before the type exists. You exist before your shadow exists. So Jesus exists before Melchizedek. So that makes Melchizedek like Jesus, not Jesus like Melchizedek, you see? Verse 3 helps us with that. He, that is Melchizedek, resembling or being made like the Son of God, continues as a priest forever. Jesus is the Son of God, so Melchizedek can bless Abraham because he is like Jesus. So before we move you know, from the great Melchizedek to the greater Jesus, I think there's a couple of things we can appreciate and apply uh, here just in Genesis 14 and that whole account of Melchizedek, the priest of God Most High, Bringing bread and wine to Abraham, uh, showing that he feasts with Abraham. You know, that's a small detail, but it's a picture of the feast that we share with our great high priest. He 
dines with us here at his table. He gives us bread and wine, blesses us spiritually, gives us more of himself through the sacrament. So we have a new priest with a new meal, and we enjoy that feast as the body of Christ. Uh, We also find the roots here of the one-tenth of the tithe in Abraham's uh, giving to Melchizedek. gives a portion of the spoils entrusted by the Lord who's provided, who's blessed him with these things. Now you and I have been given you know, a far greater gift, a far greater gift than, than physical property or the spoils of war. Um, you and I have an eternal inheritance that can never be lost. We have a high priest who is infinitely superior to Melchizedek. So if Abraham offered one-tenth, how much more can we offer the greater Jesus? Um, So we hold nothing back. We offer our very lives in worship and service to God. And a picture of that, just a snapshot of that, it's what we did just a couple of minutes ago, in giving a, a portion of material wealth that God has provided. So that, that one-tenth is the floor. It's a good starting point for offerings when all that we are, all that we have, uh, belongs to the Lord. So the great Melchizedek points us to uh, the greater Jesus. Um, I want us to keep in mind here the goal of priesthood. The goal is to represent the people so that they can draw near to the Holy One. They couldn't, but the, the, the priest could with the appropriate sacrifices. But where are the people? You know, they're, they're outside, right? They're left outside of the tent, away from the holiness of the Lord. Why is that the case? Well, it is their sin that kept them outside. And they would keep on sinning, so they would have to keep bringing sacrifices. So they could not ultimately draw near. It's the disobedience of God's people that makes the old covenant system weak or useless, we see in verse 18. Not bad, it was was good and necessary, given by God to his people, but it looked ahead to that only sacrifice, the only priesthood that would allow the people themselves to draw near to God. If you've, uh, you know, you, if you've been around a while, you know what types of things are game changers, right? Um, they change the rules for virtually everybody, change the process. I think of uh, the first automobile, Henry Ford's automobile. We watched Ford versus Ferrari not too long ago, so that's on my, on my mind. But that was a game changer for transportation. Um, or you know, a few decades later in the Russian Sputnik, you know, that was a game changer for, I mean, the, the space race and, and, and all kinds of things. Broadband internet in the mid-90s. That's a game changer for information and communication. Um, the priesthood of Jesus is a game changer. There's a new priesthood, which means a, a change in the way God's people worship, a change in the way they are to approach Him. A change in the law, it says here in verse 12. And again, we're not talking about the moral law. That, that endures. That continues. The way to, to love God and love neighbor, God has, has given to us in His law. But it's a, a change in the system of, of salvation or the way of drawing near to God. 
for the people to obey the law, they're going to have to be new people. We're going to have to be new people. God would have to change the disposition of their hearts. And we read about this in places like Jeremiah 31 or Ezekiel 36. Hearts that are now filled with the Spirit and able to do the will of God. So that when they sin, when we sin, still have to go through a priest, but not through a Levitical priest of the Old Covenant. Now we go through the priest of the New Covenant. The one priest who has obeyed on our behalf, who has made the one-time sacrifice for our sin, and who has no successor. He intercedes for His people. He is our priest. He's your priest. He's mine. So think about what hope there is. If you've got a law, a religious system that cannot provide the relationship that you long for, where you cannot draw near to the God that you desire in your heart, what hope is there in that? A relationship of love and joy and peace? The priesthood of Jesus means that there is a better hope. It's, it's an effective hope guaranteed by God's oath in the resurrection of Jesus. This is verses 20 through 22, again in 28. shows us that just as God appointed Melchizedek as priest, who is not a Levite, so he appoints his own son, who was not a Levite. He does this with an oath. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. So the law appoints men in their weakness. Now God appoints His Son who in His resurrection is made perfect forever. This is what makes the new system better. Gives a better hope because we can actually be saved. We can draw near to God. We can be at perfect peace because we have a forever priest interceding for us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is alive. He is going about this priestly work at this very moment really something for us to think about Um, we think about our Easter celebration every time we gather on Sunday mornings like a mini Easter and we celebrate the new life we have in Jesus when we celebrate on that resurrection day Jesus rising from the dead but that is also the moment when God appoints him as our high priest he dies once for all now lives and will always live to carry out his priestly service So he's taking our our meager offerings now in worship. Takes our our obedience and he's perfecting them before the throne of God. His wounds are sufficient to cover your sin and mine right now. And right now. And right now. And forever. Do you know how God responds to your sin? How he responds to your suffering or the trials that you faced. Sure, you probably know that. You know it here, right? If you've been in the church long enough, um, you've heard lots of sermons. But do you know and believe here from the very depths of your being how God has responded and continues to respond through your high priest? He ever lives to pray for us. In the posture of prayer, the you know, Jewish community was often of standing. Um, sitting is a posture of, of rule. This kind of makes sense, right? Kings would, would sit. 
uh, on their thrones and, and rule. We hear that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father in Psalm 110, actually. So he reigns and rules over all, but he also intercedes for his own. Experience of Stephen, Acts chapter 7. Just, just amazing to comprehend what this uh, first martyr experienced and what he saw. Um, he saw the living Lord Jesus standing. Standing for him. Showing him that he was near. That he was interceding. That Stephen was not alone and could die in peace. Um, Jesus does this. He is doing this for us every moment in our need. Which means he's very aware of your need. He's very aware of what it is you are facing. This is what the Jewish Christians needed to hear in their times of doubt. That's what you and I need to hear in our times of doubts and fears. We're not alone. We have an audience with God the Father anytime, anywhere, because we have a high priest who is standing for us. So I, I hope you're hearing the last few minutes why, why we need a priest, um, why Jesus is the only priest that we need. The great Melchizedek is a type preparing us for the greater Jesus. That old system of salvation, the law, has changed. It's been replaced by the new and final priesthood of Christ. And because Christ is exalted forever, He has the power to change us by His Holy Spirit. So the Christian life is not about you know, putting on a certain appearance Christian life is not about you know, uh, a certain standard of performance that we're required to meet. The Christian life is about drawing near to God in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of Christ. And that's what will, you know, where we're going to mature spiritually and we're going to, to grow in holiness by fixing our gaze upon Christ. Fix your eyes of faith upon the high priest who have offered himself for you. Um, he saves to the uttermost. He saves completely all those who draw near to God through Him. Um, so He gives us a new heart. He gives us new affections, new desires. It's in His indestructible life that we have life in abundance. Um, through our, our forever priest, Lord Jesus, we have that new hope and a better hope that we need to hear again and that those around us need to hear every day. We're going to look some more at that uh, better covenant in the next chapter. Let's pray together.